Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Mark in chapter number 7. The Gospel of Mark in chapter number 7. The Gospel of Mark in chapter number 7. Our text will be taken from verses 32 through the end of the chapter. Mark 7, verses 32 through 37. When you find that, I'm going to ask you uh, to stand with me for a moment out of respect for the Word of God. And I'm going to ask you to read uh, along with me, if you would please. And uh, we'll read these all in unison together in Mark 7 and verses 32 through 37. And reading aloud together, please. Ready? And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened. And the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more, a great deal, they published it. And were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. I want you to notice in verse number 33, a beautiful little phrase to me where he said, and he took him aside from the multitude. The Lord is going to heal this man who has been unable to hear. He can communicate some. The Bible doesn't specify. He calls it a speech impediment. And um, if you've ever met someone with a speech impediment and you hear them, it's a uh, it's not something you can hide. It's not something you can mask. If someone speaks differently than others, you notice it right away. And so I'm, I'm sure this man throughout his life, you know, if you're walking through town and you hear this man speaking, I'm sure people turn, heads turned to see, you know, who is that? And why they, boy, they talk strange. And, uh, and so, uh, so some folks that loved him, verse 32 said they, some folks that loved him brought him to the Lord Jesus and uh, beseeched him. They begged him, said, please, maybe it was a sister or a brother, maybe it was mom or dad, please help our brother. Please help my son. Maybe it was an Easter and please help my uncle, please, please. And the Bible very tenderly says that the Lord took him aside from the multitude. Here's what he said. I want to handle this one privately. Now, he had healed many people publicly in the verses just preceding this. I mean, I mean, incredible, wonderful uh, spectacles, magnificent spectacles of his power and of his, his grace were on full display. But this one, he said, let's, let's walk over here together. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning. Not a long sermon, not a profound sermon but I think something that will be special to us. Our considerate Christ. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your tender love and care. Thank you that you don't overlook a one of us. Thank you that our needs are met. Not just by an all-powerful, all-knowing God, but a, a thoughtful, loving, tender, considerate God. And Lord, long before, in ages past, long before this particular group ever gathered gathered here for this service at this moment. You have thought of us. Each of us. You love us. You know us. And you desire to meet our needs. Help us to see this beautiful aspect of your character and tender care in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Last Sunday afternoon after the service, I, well, I took uh, Grandma Shook up to the hospital to be with my dad. And uh, I was, uh, it, was a rough, it was a rough afternoon. I did not realize how sick he was. Uh, we, we knew that he had some gallbladder attacks. And so while that's extremely painful, you wouldn't think about that as life-threatening. But I didn't realize how critical he had become with the infection throughout his body. And uh, anyway, I won't, I won't go into all that, but it was, a, it was a tough afternoon and we had transferred from the emergency room here uh, in the middle of the night to the emergency room at Moses Cone, still waiting for a bed to open up. So it wasn't ideal, you know, his condition to be in the emergency room, but, uh, but anyway, uh, but the, 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 the staff were just incredible, incredible. And, 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 and let me just say as a side note, I, I understand that you can have a bad experience in a medical facility and just because you are a professional doesn't mean you do your job well. But, but I would say this, you know, we, we, ought to be, we ought to be more thankful than we complain. At least we could say that. Is, that. is that a good baseline for all of us? We ought to be more grateful than we are gripers. Amen? And you say, oh, but you don't know what happened. Okay, I understand that and it wouldn't take anything away from that. But I will say this, we ought, to be, we ought to say more about good service at the restaurant than we do about bad service at the restaurant. Amen? And the same thing, uh, I think, is uh, true for uh, every profession that serves us, and certainly the medical profession serves us. And uh, anyway, it was just, uh, I won't go into details, but it was just a, it was a rough afternoon. And, and I, uh, uh, and there's three ladies in particular that were there that were serving uh, my dad in a, at a critical time, and... I was just overwhelmed at, uh, at how they did their job and how they did it. And seemingly, you know, it, was a, it wasn't a delightful, it wasn't a delightful thing, but it was, they seemed delightful as they did it, as they did their work. And I thought, you know, these folks are doing their job, but they're, they're doing it thoughtfully and tenderly and carefully. And I was, I was amazed by that and I was thankful for that. You know, you know, God is a thoughtful God. I, I, if you want to visit with me, I'll, I'll give you some illustrations of it in the Old Testament. If you want to turn back to the book of Deuteronomy. And our, our God is uh, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's all-wise. He's eternal. He's, uh, he's a jealous God. He's a holy God. Uh, he's always been. He always will be. There's many mighty, magnificent attributes of our God. But one of them is that he is, he is thoughtful. He is kind. The Bible says that, uh, in the New Testament, it says that he is kind 
to the unthankful. Now, now we don't mind, you and I, we like being kind to people that are grateful. It's easy to be nice to folks who appreciate it, right? But when it's not appreciated and taken for granted, we have a tendency to say, well, fine, and I will never serve you again. But our God is, he is kind to the unthankful, the Bible says. Here's a couple of examples in Deuteronomy chapter 20 in the fifth verse. Deuteronomy chapter 20, the fifth verse. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. Verse 6, And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. Verse 7, And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife, and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he return unto his house, and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. They are marshalling an army, and these are men who were enlisted men, and it's time to go to battle. And, uh, and the Bible said this uh, to the officers. He said, listen, when you, when you get the army together, before you send them out, find out if there's some men that just built a new house. And if they build a new house, tell them to go back home. There'll be another day of fighting for them. But they need to go home and enjoy their house. And then he said, uh, if a man's planted a vineyard. Now it takes some time to, to clear the land and till the soil and plant a vineyard until it comes up and matures and brings forth fruit. That's, I don't know how many, but a number of years for sure of waiting uh, for the fruit of your labor. And the Bible said, if you planted a vineyard and you have a new vineyard and you haven't been able to enjoy the fruit thereof, go home. You can fight later. You can fight in another way as is, as is might be necessary, but go home and enjoy the fruit of your labor. Here's a man that got engaged to be married. And here's a newly married man, if you will. And the Bible said, if you've, if you've been betrothed, and, and, uh, go home. Go home and take a year with your wife and enjoy her. Now, you say, why would God do that? Because he's a thoughtful God. That's why. He's a thoughtful God. Imagine what it would be like if you worked and worked and built your own house and then you got called up for military duty and you went and you died and you never got to live in your house one day. You imagine if you got married, if you're engaged to be married, you got called away and then, and then, and then died in the service of your country and never had a chance to, 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 to marry or never had a chance to enjoy your wife. And, and God is a thoughtful God. Go, go over to chapter 22. Uh, chapter 22 and God is giving practical instructions to his people. He wants his people to be thoughtful. He says to his people in verse uh, 1 of Deuteronomy 22, Thou shalt not see thy brother's ox or his sheep go astray and hide thyself from them. In other words, don't ignore the needs of others. God is not, uh, 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 God is not uh, bothered by our needs and we should be bothered by the needs of others. Amen. So, so if, you, if your neighbor's cow gets out or sheep gets out, don't, don't turn over like, look this way like you don't see it. Right? That's what God is saying. Look down at verse number two. If thy brother be not nigh unto thee, or if thou know him not, then thou shalt bring it unto thine own house, and it shall be with thee until thy brother seek after it, and thou shalt restore it to him again. You say, well, I don't know whose cow that is. I'd take it to him if I knew it was. He said, if you don't know who it belongs to, take it home till somebody comes looking for it, and then give it back. 
Now, what, you say, what does this teach us about God? It, it teaches that God is thoughtful of the needs of others, and He wants us as His people to be thoughtful of the needs of others. Amen. Go down to verse number 6. The Bible said, uh, if, a, if a bird's nest chanced to be before thee in the way, in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam or the mother sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young, but thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest uh, prolong thy days. God is teaching us to be ethical in the harvesting of an animal. Uh, later on in the Proverbs, he would say, he said, you're, you're a lazy hound dog if you take the life of an animal, but then you're too sorry uh, 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 to, to have a purpose for that and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and to prepare the meal and, 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 and take nourishment from that harvest. God is saying, don't leave a creature helpless. Don't leave aftermath everywhere you go. Don't leave a mess everywhere you go. A good dose of that could, could be uh, dumped into the minds of a lot of people in our nation who seem to have the right to go and tear up somebody else's property because they perceive to have been mistreated in some way. He says in verse number 8, When thou buildest a new house, then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof. The, the houses were flat-roofed, and a battlement would be a fence, or uh, uh, obviously uh, for, for safety's sake. Uh, that they bring, Thou bring not blood upon thine house if a man fall from thence. He's, talk, he's saying don't be negligent. Be considerate. Be thoughtful. If you're going to be in a house, uh, put, put a fence around the top of it so somebody didn't fall off and get hurt. Consider those who come uh, behind you. Verse number 10. Uh, verse number 9, rather. Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed, which thy sown in the fruit of thy vineyard, be defiled. Now, I used to think that was just simply symbolic, but uh, gardening a little bit. Some of you that have gardens, you know, you got two different types of corn. You got to plant them so far apart from each other. If you got wild blackberries and tame blackberries, you got to plant them far enough because you have cross-pollination. And so there's practical uh, application, but also symbolic. God is for his people saying, this is, this is symbolic of the fact that you have been separated unto me. And the same is true in verse number 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of woolen and linen together. That's just practically true. Two different types of material uh, would not wear as well. And as far as the ox and the ass, you know, a donkey and a cow, uh, trying to, uh, or a bull trying to pull the same yoke they don't they have the same gait god is simply saying i think the practical side would be be thoughtful of your animals and 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 be considerate of them my point in this i could go on there's other beautiful places i won't take time to it but uh, but 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 there's many examples that our god is a, is a thoughtful god and that is an aspect of god's character my dear friend listen as the world as the pressure of the world mounts as we get closer to the return of Christ. The pressure will mount nationally, of course, but individually, I believe. And, and we must remember that the character of our God is, 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 is that is He is kind, He is thoughtful, He is considerate, and a Christian who walks in the steps of Jesus Christ will and ought to display that same character. I find back in our text in Mark chapter 7, I never noticed this before, I don't think, Never marked it anyway. But I paused when I read this some days ago. And I thought to myself, that's interesting. He had just, had just done a spectacular miracle. 
and, and, and many, I won't go into those, but many spectacular miracles he had done in plain view, in public view, and some of those before great crowds. But for whatever reason, this dear man who was deaf and who had an impediment in his speech, the Lord said, let's walk over here by ourselves. Verse 33, again our text, and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spit and touched his tongue and looking up to heaven he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And he was healed. Amen. May I say this to you, dear friend, this morning, to Christ, we are an individual. To Christ, we are an individual. You know, we make a big deal about something being local or homegrown or homemade as opposed to uh, mass manufactured and cookie cutter, so to speak. May I say this, uh, uh, if you're a born-again believer, if you're, you, you, are, you, are, uh, you, you are all, we are all God's creation. Amen. And Psalm 139 details how much forethought there was in the creation of each one of us. But not only as God's creation, but as God's a child born again by faith. God doesn't, it's not a cookie cutter relationship. Now the doctrines of salvation apply to every single born again believer. Genesis chapter 1, 2 and so forth apply to every single person who's ever been born. But my dear friend, a relationship with Christ doesn't just mean I don't have to go to hell, get to go to heaven. It means that I get to walk with the Lord Jesus. I get to fellowship with the God who spoke the worlds into existence and he loves me as though I were his only child as one song writer put it. And I'm an individual to him. Uh, the Bible tells us that he engraves me on his hand. Uh, he knows the numbers of hair on my head. He knows my name. Amen. He knows my name. Years ago, Buddy Ray Stinson came to our church. And, uh, and uh, I remember his first day coming over in the old auditorium over there. And uh, he, uh, I said, hey, buddy, how you doing today? He goes, how does everybody know my name? I said, what's your name? He said, buddy. I said, well, <laughs> but you know, you ever forget somebody's name? It's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? Worst thing in the world, almost. But anyway, but God never forgets our name. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that, that you are an individual? To Christ, we are an individual. His communion with us is individual. It's not cookie cutter. Listen, one, one beautiful thing about this book right here is that you can go to kindergarten in this book and you can get a PhD in this book. Amen. God the Holy Spirit is our divine teacher. John 14 and John 16. That comforter comes to live in us after we get saved. Now that Jesus has ascended back to heaven as his after the resurrection. Now then the Spirit of God, the book of Ephesians says that, that God's Spirit comes to live inside of us. I, I, you remember where you were when you got saved? You remember when you called upon the Lord? Maybe you were kneeling by your bed. Maybe you're at this altar. Maybe you're in a seat in this auditorium in the balcony somewhere. Maybe you were uh, like me uh, on a Wednesday night service uh, uh, and, and, and the, the day, the moment that you said I want Christ, I need you and I want you as my Savior. I trust you as my Savior. However you worded that, 
That moment, God, the Holy Spirit, came to live inside of you. And the Bible calls him the earnest of the Spirit. That, that word earnest is a financial term. It's like oh, we say earnest money. It's like down payment. In other words, God said, I'm going to give you a down payment on your eternal inheritance. I'm going to give you my Spirit. He has given the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the New Testament tells us. And the Bible said then we're sealed to the day of redemption. I got saved in 1979. God, the Spirit, came to live inside of me. And God, the Father, licked the envelope, sealed it, and said, do not open it till the day of redemption. Amen. I can't go to hell without taking the Holy Spirit with me. What are you talking about? Listen, I'm safe forever. Hallelujah, thank God. God's spirit is in me. And the Bible says, he, the obligation is on him. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, I'm so glad about that. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit of God has come and has come to live and to stay. And now then as my teacher, when I open this book, people say, I tried to read the Bible, couldn't understand it. Don't worry about what you can't understand. Keep reading. There'll be something you understand. That's what you need to worry about. People give up on the Bible because they, they read a chapter and only, God only understood two verses. Well, evidently, God wants you to work on those two verses, doesn't he? You see, you can go to kindergarten in this book or you can get a PhD in this book, amen? You can study the Bible your whole life and every single day find something God the Spirit never revealed to you, amen? This book is the mind of God and it's in, as, it is as inexhaustible as the mind of God. You'll never know everything God has for us in this book right here. In fact, I personally believe that in eternity, uh, in the, in eternity in the future, God will open up his word and show us things we never saw before, amen? Oh, listen to me, my friend. The Holy Spirit is our individual uh, teacher. Christ to us, uh, to Christ we are an individual. His communion with us, his dealings with us are individual. You know, you know those of you who have several children, you can't deal with every child exactly the same. Train up a child in the way he should go. I think there's a, 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 a that truth is, is conveyed in that verse. Uh, 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 so, some of you have kids that you tell them what to do or you just look at them they just oh I'm so sorry and some of you tell them and tell them and, tell them and beat them and beat them and beat them and whatever and they just still do it and, uh, and we're all different right and you know what listen my dear friend Christ deals with us individually amen aren't you glad about that uh, his work in us is an individual work his care for us is individual care his love for us is individual love I find across the page in verse number 8 that he did something similar with a blind man. In chapter 8, verse 22, the Bible said, He cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. Led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now, folks, listen. Christ could have done that publicly. He could have done that publicly. He said, why did he do that privately? Oh, I guess maybe perhaps uh, 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 we, don't, we don't know all the reasons. But I, I, I can't help but think that there was an individual aspect to these choices. This man who had a, a speech impediment. And whatever the speech impediment was, it would have been distinct. People would have heard it. People would have known it. And the Savior said, 
Let's walk over here by ourselves away from the crowd. I want you to notice something else. Verse number 33, the Bible said, And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue to Christ where an individual. But verse 34 says, back in verse chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 34, And looking up to heaven, he, notice this, he sighed, and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be open. I said this to Christ, we're an individual. May I say this? That Christ carries our individual pain in his own heart. Get a picture of this, if you would. The Lord Jesus takes this man. I think not wanting to make a spectacle of him. Maybe aware of his self-consciousness, perhaps. I'm sure the Lord knew, obviously, how this man might have been an easy target and mistreated perhaps growing up and even into adulthood. The Lord took him aside and before he healed him, the Bible said he sighed. He sighed. I think that was a sigh of compassion. I think it was a sigh of empathy. But I know this, it was a sigh for this one individual man. Yes, We read where the Bible says he came upon his city of Jerusalem there and looked and saw the multitudes and his heart was moved with compassion because they, the multitudes, were as sheep without a shepherd. But we see here in this sweet little verse, he sighs individually for individual need, for individual pain, uh, for individual uh, distress in this dear man's life. And our Savior comes and he looks to heaven and with a sigh, be opened. Oh boy, that would have been neat to see, wouldn't it? <laughs> and be there. Not only to see the miracle of his tongue loosed and of his hearing restored, but of the individual tender care. I believe that the compassion that Christ has for us is individual compassion. We just, uh, just a few days ago passed the anniversary of my little niece. Uh, we uh, held her funeral service was was in uh, October a year ago. And uh, my youngest sister had a set of twins and they had one little girl that they waited a long time to get, Tessa. And, uh, and then she was expecting twins and in the pregnancy, one of those twins was lost in the pregnancy, but the other survived. And, uh, and right, just, just, just uh, right before, just hours before the birth, Little Julia May passed away in the womb and was stillborn. And I thought about that early this morning. The message came in last night. I didn't get it till this morning. But when Brother John Beer, who's such a good friend to our ministry, he wrote about his little grandchild going to heaven and how traumatic it was for his daughter-in-law. And and I thought about that, and I thought about Catherine when she called this week and talked about her friend's little three, three and a half month old baby. It was, it was, the baby was premature, but the baby survived, and the baby got strong enough, the baby was strong enough to come home, and then all that, uh, the, the anxiousness, of course, and, and, and that goes with a baby being premature, and then, then to get, get well and to get strong enough to come home, and then finally to come home and to. And then to lose the baby, what a devastating blow. 
And please remember that, dear family, on tomorrow at the funeral. But may I say this, my dear friend, I believe this passage teaches us something about Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not like, a, a, okay, okay you, you have a heartache, okay? Uh, you, have, you have a heartache the, this morning. You have some grief in your life, okay? Uh, here's, some, here's some grace for you. Here's some grace for you. It's not cookie cutter. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you write, you, write a, you, know, you write a love note and then you go to, to the, 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 uh, the, the uh, copy machine and say, I need, I need 500 copies of this of this love note, I need 500 copies of this of this uh, of this uh, 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 this uh, this letter, uh, condolence letter, and uh, and then uh, and just get you a stamp and and uh, and put no 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 it's personalized. It's personalized. The Lord knows what we need when we need it. He knows what we need when we need it, and He gives it to us. Amen. You've heard my stories many times, but I thought about it. I couldn't help but think about it. And the Lord gave us unusual strength. 26 years ago now, when Abigail passed away, and she lived for three months and 20, just about almost 23 days in the hospital before she went to be with the Lord, and God gave us unusual strength, and God allowed us to... Uh, prepared for the funeral and uh, be there at her side for those three weeks and prepare for the funeral and conduct the funeral and and uh, God gave me uh, grace to speak some and sing some at the funeral but about a week or two after she had passed and we buried her and uh, her little room was still set up we hadn't really touched anything in her room and there was a rocking chair in her room and I remember going to that room and sitting down in that rocking chair and it was just like all the supernatural strength that God had given me in those weeks I was, I was my wife was there around the clock and I was coming back for each service standing basically living up there at Baptist Hospital Children's Hospital up there Brenner's Children's Hospital coming back for the service preach and go back and it that had been uh, a, a month or more of that and and I sat down in that rocking chair, and that moment, it's like every bit of strength, you know, you say, i got to be strong for my family or whatever. whatever. Whatever you want to call that, grace, supernatural grace, strength, whatever it was, it's just like it all drained out at the same time. And I just began to weep. And my sweet wife came, and she crawled up in my lap and comforted me. And it was so wonderful. That's a precious memory, very tender to me. And I praise God for it. God used her in my life to comfort me. Can I tell you something? I don't know what you're going through, dear friend. But God knows. And his love and his care is personalized just for you. Just what you need. Just when you need it. I thought about John 3.16. God so loved the world. He does love the world. But he loves the individual. I thought about the feeding of the 5,000. How God said, the Lord Jesus said, we can't send these folks away fasting. They're hungry. And he cared for the multitudes. But also remember him waiting by the well for one lady that he knew was headed that way. A Samaritan woman of ill repute. And 101, he showed his tender care and won her to himself. And she drank that day of the living water from whence you'll never thirst again. I thought about Christ 
You say, Pastor, how is this possible? When you remember this, dear friend, yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In, in presenting the gospel, sometimes I'll, I'll say something like this. One innocent man could potentially redeem the life of another innocent man. Brother Will, stand up for just a moment if you don't mind. And if, if Brother Will was, was a, a guilty of a crime and, and I wanted to take his place, uh, potentially, as if I was innocent, if I was innocent, then potentially I could take his place. I could potentially redeem the life of another man. But Jesus Christ, thank you, Jesus Christ wasn't just a man. He was the eternal God in human flesh. He is eternal God in human flesh. Amen. Jesus Christ, just like, just like one man could redeem perhaps the life of another man, but in one, one penny could redeem another penny. Well, a dime can redeem ten pennies. Amen. And, and Christ, uh, who died for the sins of the world, one man could potentially redeem the life of another man, but Christ could redeem the whole world. Amen. His sacrifice on Calvary, his love for, uh, for mankind, uh, what he took on the cross for us is enough to save every one of us. Amen. And so Christ, yes, he died for the world, but he died for me and for you individually, my friend. Listen, if you've never faced the condition of your heart as a lost sinner before God, if you've never understood the depravity of your own sin, yesterday a young man got saved. And, uh, and okay, but I had the privilege of leading to Christ. And, uh, and um, when asked about his sin, he said, well, my sin's not that bad, really, compared to a lot of people's. And uh, I said, you believe Christ died for you? He said, yes. I said, you believe that you deserve to be crucified? I said, no, my sin's not that bad. And I began to teach him what the Bible said. And then and the look came on his face as it dawned upon him the penalty of his own sin. And I'm, I'm glad to report to you he did trust Christ as his Savior. But my friend, listen, before you can trust Jesus as Savior, you've got to recognize what you need. If Christ died on the cross for your sins, as Romans 5, 8 says, as John 3, 16 and many other scriptures say, that means he died for you as a sinner. He died for the world. But he died for you as an individual, meaning that what he got on that cross was what you and I deserved. Do you ever think of your sin as being so bad you deserve to be uh, crucified? If Christ died for us as sinners in Romans 5, as it says, then that's exactly what it means. What he got on that cross should have been me, should have been you. Now, once you understand that, that that was how, you say, how, how does God, we say, I don't think my sin's that bad. You want to know how God, a holy God feels about your sin? Take a look at Calvary. Look at Jesus hang on the cross, dying in your place. That's how God feels about our sin. But may I say, dear friend, listen, as Jesus hung upon the cross, he didn't just die for a group of people. He died for individuals. He died for me. He died for you. He died for you and you and you and each one of us. Christ died for me. Hallelujah. He's a personal Savior today. He's a personal Savior. He cared for the individual maniac of Gadara. He cared for the woman who in the great crowd touched him. He cared for me. He cared for you. I believe this sigh in verse 34 is a sigh of compassion. It's just Jesus and this man. And he gave that sigh just for this one man. That to me speaks of his care, of his love, and of his concern. Dr. Charles Weigel was a great Baptist evangelist and a hymn writer, wrote over a thousand hymns. He died at age 95 on December the 3rd, 1966. 
Earlier in his life, when he was called to be an evangelist, he served the Lord faithfully. And one day he had a wife and a daughter. And one day his wife said to him, Charlie, I'm leaving. I don't want this life that you're living anymore. I want to go the other way. I want to go to the bright lights. I don't want this life. And she got on a train and took their daughter with them, went to the other side of the country. For five years, Charles Weigel didn't write a song. But God, in his tender care, loved him, comforted him, encouraged him. And Charles Weigel began to write again. Maybe one of the most tender expressions of God's care for us is a song that was born out of the great heartache of his life. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Would you bow your heads this morning, please?